Starting a podcast has been one of the biggest drivers of growth in my business, but there are a lot of moving parts behind the scenes to release episodes every single week. That's why I'm all about finding tools to make the process easier. And one of my favorite podcast tools is Riverside. Riverside is where I record all my episodes and guest interviews. It gives me studio quality audio and video every single time. What I love about Riverside is that it records video in 4K and has a bunch of AI tools to make post-production easier and faster. So if you run a podcast or you're thinking of starting one, don't do it without Riverside. Trust me, I've tried a bunch of others and Riverside is the best. And the cool thing is, as a listener of this podcast, you can get 15% off your Riverside subscription using the code MYBUSINESSPLAYBOOK. So head on over to riverside.fm to get started today. Welcome to My Business Playbook, where we pull back the curtain on the steps and missteps of successful people. You'll hear a raw and unfiltered play-by-play of what's worked and what hasn't, giving you helpful advice and insights so you can build your dream business. I'm your host, Laura Higgins, and this is My Business Playbook. Well, hello and welcome back to my business playbook. Oh my goodness, this conversation is good. We are joined by Goose McGrath. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Goose. Goose is an eight-figure nomad entrepreneur. He is the CEO of Dashdot, which is one of Australia's fastest growing companies and has been awarded one of Australia's best places to work. He is passionate about helping people to escape the status quo and create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. The cool thing about Goose is that he knows what it takes to scale a business. He has got a pretty crazy story. You're going to love this conversation. We talk about your vision. We talk about fear. We talk about how to create a place that people actually want to work at, what it actually takes to grow a business, and so much more. Let's dive in to my conversation with Goose. McGrath. Goose McGrath, I am so happy to have you. Can I say I've never interviewed someone whose first name is Goose ever in my life. Do do you get that a lot? I'm glad to be be the first. I do get that a lot. And, um, you know, it was uh, quite funny because I'm sure we'll kind of touch on this a a bit, but my my main business is uh, in real estate. And when we started on this track in real estate, and by the way, I'm not a real estate agent and I never had any aspiration to be a real estate guy, but anyway, here we are. Um, I thought I needed to grow up and I thought I needed to like, all right, I've got to stop calling myself Goose. So I tried it on (laughs) for like two weeks. My real name is Glenn. I tried it on for like two weeks, but even my dad was like, Stop trying to be someone you're not. And I was like, you know what? That's 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 good advice. And so I just stuck with Goose. And I got told so many times, oh, you can't you can't be in business and call yourself that. And I was like, well, tough tits. Here we are. So <laughs> here and it's, uh, it's kind of work. Here I am, and it kind of works well because people don't forget it very easily. So I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, it's so so good. Uh, when I first started my business, I was just going to call my business the Social Club, and it was all about social media management, marketing kind of thing. And um, my nieces and my nephews, they couldn't say Laura, so they called me Lala. So my sister said to me, no, the social club's boring. Like, why don't you call it Lala Social Club? And I was like, I could do that. And so people started calling me Lala, not knowing that that's what my, you know, three and four-year-old nieces and nephews would call me. So I understand keeping your nickname, it has its advantages for sure. Now, Goose, before we dive in, because I have so many questions for you, but I want to, before we 
go into that. Can you just give us like the 30 second top level rundown of what you do? Um, I know you do many things, but what is the main thing that you do? Uh, so I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Dashdot. So we help uh, Australians to invest in real estate. And I promise yeah. you, it is not as uh, bad as it sounds. We, we've developed a very unique way to do it, um, mm-hmm. which uses a lot of technology, a lot of data science. We've invested heavily. That's helping people to get uh, really outsized returns. And that's awesome because I don't care about real estate, but I care about people. And so what we're actually helping a lot of people to do is to, is to achieve uh, financial freedom or financial security, which is just crazy. So that's fun. And, um, but I don't want to waffle on about that too much, but just as a bit of, bit of context, yeah. we're having our fifth birthday just coming up. We're on track to do about 20 million in revenue this year. We, uh, we're Australia's 12th fastest growing company last year. We've been recognized as one of the best places to work in Australia. We've been recognized as in the top three most innovative companies uh, in our industry. Yeah. Uh, there's like a lot of good stuff going on there. So it's been a very fast scaling um, journey. We've got a team of uh, just banging on uh, about 100 um, all over the world. We're a 100% remote business. Uh, we don't track hours. We do lots of things differently. Uh, and as a result, we've got a great culture, great business, doing great work, and it's uh, it's super fun. That is amazing. And to scale to where you've gotten to in five years is really insane. And I, I'm sure we're going to talk about your journey of scaling. Before we kind of go into that, I, I feel like you've got a really cool story. And, and I know that it didn't start, you know, in a traditional route of, I was a real estate agent and I did this and then I did that. Like, it feels like your journey is kind of full of twists and turns. So talk to us about how you kind of started and and what that transformation has been for you. Totally. So I'll try and keep it brief, although there's a lot in it and we could spend an hour just on this, but um, about maybe six-ish years ago, uh, I was an alcoholic, uh, actually about about seven years ago. So when I met my um, when I met my partner, Gabby, who's also the co-founder of Dashdot, um, we, we're partners in business and life and, and could, we wouldn't have it any other way. Um, mm. When we met, I was an alcoholic, a drug addict. I was homeless. I, had no, I was living on my office floor because I had nowhere to go. I had no money. Uh, like it was, life was pretty tough. And just to kind of contextualize that for people and not to glorify it, um, but back like in the kind of peak of my, you know, state when I was in that kind of uh, – that part of my life, I'd wake up in the morning and do about a gram of cocaine, drink half a bottle of straight vodka, and then I would leave my room and go and get my morning coffee and have breakfast, right? So that gives you some context around how kind of bad uh, that part of my life was. Uh, And again, like, hey, like it's not great, but it also put us on this path. Anyway, I met Gabby. um, I didn't instantly change. You know, I continued uh, being a reprobate for a while. Uh, we were together for maybe a year or so, and then she eventually said, "Hey, look, I can't watch you uh, kill yourself. Like you're gonna, you're on a path yeah. to an early grave, and I just can't watch you do that." And it was at that moment that I realized I finally, because I didn't care about myself, I didn't love myself, I didn't have any respect for myself, which is why I was treating myself that way. I yeah. finally had a reason to change. I was like, "Oh, wait, hang on a second. No, that is more important than this." Mm. So. Um, 2018, I, uh, got sober. It was a bumpy ride. It wasn't just a, uh, it was a bumpy ride to get sober, but, but, um, April 20, 2018, I got sober for the first, uh, for the first time. And with that came a lot of like kind of mental clarity. It was like, Whoa, hang on a second. Where are we going? Like, what is this? Where are we tracking in our life? Uh, so Gabby and I realized that we weren't on a track to really anywhere. And we decided we want to try and create more freedom and abundance in our own life. And we thought, Hey, real estate. We didn't know anything about real estate. We thought we'll invest in real estate and we'll become financially free because that's what's yeah. happened. What, what, that's what we get told happens, right? Yeah. Um, but we didn't know what we were doing and we successfully bought the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time and lost a bunch of money. We had to borrow money off family to afford it. We had no money, right? So we had to borrow mm-hmm. money off our parents uh, for the deposit. And the way we structured that, just so everyone doesn't 
doesn't think we come from like a privilege, you know, banker, mum and dad kind of thing. We structured it as a loan, which we've had to pay back with interest to our parents. That's how we've always done this kind of stuff. Yeah. So they helped us to buy a property, which was a dud. That kind of then was a catalyst to go, wow, that didn't really work out how it was supposed to mm-hmm. work out. What, like, how does this work? Like, why do some properties go up? Why do some properties go down? How can we find an answer to this? And at the time, it was really just to solve the problem for ourselves because we were trying to get out of the quicksand. We were trying to get out of yeah. this kind of place of lack and, you know, really going nowhere, trying to create a better life for ourselves. Now, after we, we kind of worked through that pretty uh, feverishly, we developed the thesis, we then tested the thesis on ourselves, and it worked. And we went, oh my God, imagine how many other people are probably going to make the same mistake that we made with our first property. Imagine if we could, and this was how big our vision was at the time, Laura. It was, imagine if we could help 10 people. Wow. And we were just like, whoa, <laughs> imagine if we could help 10 people. Like that was yeah. as big as our vision was when we started. It was, was, it was like, man, that'd just be crazy. Yeah. Um, that very quickly expanded and accelerated. And I, I will give you some, some kind of cliff notes on the business journey because it's super interesting. When we started the business, we had $5,000, no safety net, no backup. We'd never worked in the industry. We didn't have any, we didn't have any networks. We didn't know any property investors. We, didn't, we, had, we had nothing and no one around us. We, we'd bought yeah. this investment property, which uh, I affectionately call the crack den. It was a fixer-upper that we never fixer-upped. <laughs> we moved into yeah. that. We had so little money at the start that we had to choose between spending money on ads to grow the business or food. And we chose ads and we would walk around the supermarket eating food off the shelves right? Then go back to work. That's how little money we'd have. Literally go down to the Coles, we'd walk around, go to the deli, get some salami and all this kind of stuff, walk around, <laughs> eat, eat, eat our lunch and walk out again because we had no money. Um, we managed to get sales and marketing work to work. We kind of started scaling up. We didn't know what we were doing. We did, we, it was messy. Uh, it was chaotic. We were like, okay, we got to about January 2020 and we said, okay, this isn't going to work. So let's scale back. We started to scale back, then COVID hit. We had a 97% loss of revenue and 94% of our clients asked for a refund because we had 100% unconditional money back guarantee refund policy, in our, which was stupid. So we went back to having basically no money, had to move into the cheapest apartment we could find, back to eating beans again. And that was the real foundation because it was wow. in that moment that we, did, that we really, it was in that period of real darkness where we didn't even know if we were going to get out that we really set the foundation for the company that we've got today. And um, that's what, and we can kind of dig into that. But just as a bit of context, from the 1st of January 2021, we had a team of four. 18 months later, later, we had a team of 85. So when we think about the scaling, it didn't, act, didn't actually happen over five years. It actually happened over like the last three years. Uh, and so that's, that's the kind of really interesting thing. But everything that has led to that ability to scale was born uh-huh. from those deep, dark times where we just didn't even know if we were going to be able to pay our electricity bills. So that's where it all started. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. There's so much to unpack. There's like so many questions (laughs) in my mind. So, okay. Goose, you have done this journey and and it sounds like you and Gabby have both got something unique and you have a grit and a determination and a, you must've had such a big belief in the business as well. Why do you think, you know, because easily someone could have had one set of the circumstances that you had be an alcoholic and go, right, I can't, I can't possibly run a business. But you had multiple sets of circumstances that were kind of wild. What do you think set you apart personally? Like if you think about the characteristics and the qualities that you have and that you and Gabby both have, what do you think allowed you to actually get through that? Um, so, I mean, different different parts of life uh, uh, lead to kind of different different types of things. But I think at the at the end of the day, you have to have a vision. 
you have to have a vision that is bigger than yourself. So mm. before Gabby was going to leave me, I didn't have a, I didn't, I didn't have any reason to stop drinking. So I was, yeah. I was continuing on that path. But then once I realized that there was something that was bigger than than that, that was worth it, then I was like, okay, no, you know what? I have a choice to make. I have a choice to choose Gabby or to choose to drink myself to an early grave. Uh, and so that was worth it. Now, so that's one step. Mm. Then in on the in the business context. I'll be, I'll be really honest with you. At the start, when we started the business and we were working 18 hour days, seven days a week, 18, 20 hour days, seven days a week. Now, one of the benefits is previously I worked in the festival industry and working 18 hour days was pretty routine. So yeah. we had that kind of resilience already built up. But yeah. during that time, I, I remember, I distinctly remember back when we were still living in uh, the crack den, uh, I remember Gabby asking me, she said, what, what is motivating you to work so hard? I remember the conversation we had. And I said, fear, fear. And fear was a driver. It was fear of failure. It was like fear of fear of like, we had nothing. We had, there was no, that we couldn't, Mm. we had no fallback. We had no other option. It was go. It was go or die basically. So, but then motivations change, right? And reasons change. And, you know, and then when we talk about during the kind of COVID period, when it was, that was really hard. That was really hard. That like, I, I was like, we're going to fail. This is like, that was really hard. There was lots of, there was lots of tears from both me and Gabby. And it was, it was hard to keep the faith, honestly. And uh, yes, we've got a lot of resilience. Yes, we've got a lot of determination. And I think, so a couple of parts that number one, there was a couple of key moments of encouragement from my, from my family where they just said something simple like, don't give up, just keep going. And it was enough to mm. kind of just go, well, we've got to keep going. Yeah. But for me personally, and I can't speak for Gabby, having been to the bottom, you know, homeless, alcoholic, blah, 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 I, I kind of know what the bottom looks like. And I've been more bottom than that in, in many ways in my life before. So it's kind of like, I know, it's like, okay, I survived that so I can survive this. And so it kind of gives you a point of reference, which is why I think people who have faced significant adversity actually have a competitive advantage because it's like, well, I know what pain feels like. So mm. I'm like, okay, so is this better than that or not? I, I think though, in a kind of more useful context, you must have something worth fighting for. You have to have something worth fighting for. Yeah. Now, it, it probably isn't going to be money. It might be, but it probably isn't going to be money because uh, anyone who's ever achieved any degree of success knows that when you achieve the thing you set out to do, it's not very fulfilling. You, get, you go, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars. I remember the first time we made a million dollars in a year in the business I remember the day that it ticked over and it was such a big milestone. That's huge, right? It was yeah. obviously a number of years ago now. It, it happened and I went, cool. <laughs> All right, back to work. Like there was like, it's like no one cares. And so these things that you think are going to be the things that give you what you want, a pile of money, a new car, a house, it never is. Mm. And we, at one point, putting the oxygen mask, like, like we were trying to create a better life for ourselves. We got to, and this is a, several years ago now, we, we realized we were at a point with the business that we could sell it for you know, probably a few million dollars, right? It's worth a lot more than that today, but probably a few million dollars. And that would be enough that if we just put it into an index fund or something, we would be able to kind of like live on that for the rest of our lives. So we could, we could effectively do the thing. We could sell the business and never have to work, not be rich, right? But like, but never have to work. And it was at that moment of realization that we could do that, that we had, that we realized that that's not what we wanted anyway. And what we really wanted was we wanted to make an impact. We wanted to do, we wanted to actually change the world. We actually wanted to change people's lives. And so then it becomes, okay, well, it's not even about the money. Uh, and mm. even any revenue metric or anything that you use is only a reference point to help you understand how much impact you're having anyway. And so yes. in order to stay continuously motivated, 
you need to have a vision that's bigger than yourself. Yes. And so if for anyone listening who is kind of in the, maybe they're in that fear state that, that you were talking about of like, oh my gosh, the like fight or flight thing of I need money because I can't stay in this stuck point. I actually need a breakthrough financially. So maybe money is goal number one. How do we move beyond that to create that vision that you're talking about that's bigger than money? Once we quote unquote have enough, which is such a moving target, but once we reach that milestone where we're like, okay, cool, my main needs financially are taken care of, now what? How do we kind of unpack that, that vision that feels big enough to keep us inspired? I might take it on a slightly different track because I want to tackle the fear thing, right, actually. Because the fear thing I think is really, 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 really important because um, it's not just when you're trying to get to your first hundred grand or first million dollars that you feel Mm. the fear. I know people that are doing $5 million in revenue in their business and ostensibly the business is quite successful. They still have the fear, right? So it's not about – so you actually have to address the fear. Now, the thing about fear is that our brain is wired to keep us safe. And so mm. because of our amygdala and, uh, and our prefrontal cortex and all this other kind of stuff, they work together to try and make us avoid harm. So typically yeah. we see threats as being two between two and five times more threatening than they actually are. So the thing that you're scared of is probably yeah. two to five times less likely to happen than what your brain is telling you is going to happen. Wow. So if you can understand that context and then if you can also have a baseline belief that everything will be okay, then that allows you to start to kind of walk that path. Now, so the biggest change, the the single biggest thing that I changed in 2023 that changed the quality of my life above all else was a simple little mantra that I kept repeating to myself. I live without fear or doubt. Now, that's a really interesting statement because you've got to ask yourself, who would you be and who would you become if you had no fear and no doubt, really think about that. Can you ask that question again? Because I think people need to hear it again. Who would you be or who would you become if you had no fear and no doubt, right? If you just expected that everything was going to be fine, that it was all (laughs) going to work out and you could just go and do it. Now, Mm. in my experience the evidence suggests that the fear is not real. Like the thing, the thing you're scared of is probably not real. Yeah. And almost always there's an answer to it. Now, a lot of people have heard like, oh, you only, you only, uh, you only lose when you quit, right? Kind of as a kind of like a throwaway statement. And it sounds cliche, but it's absolutely true. And so yeah. we decided, we decided early on that we just wouldn't quit. It's like, well, okay, well, the, 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 the clock, the clock on the game isn't over as long as we yeah. keep playing. So as long as we keep playing, there's always going to be a pathway forward. And mm. so if you have that mentality of like, okay, well, if I, if I take quitting off the table, that means necessarily that uh, I'm, I will find a solution. Therefore, no matter mm. what problem exists, is going to be able to be solved. Therefore, I don't ever need to be afraid of anything, which is pretty wild. I love that. And I think the take quitting off the table, I think that's such a cool way to think about it. I listened to an Alex Hormozy interview and he stopped saying quit because like uh, this guy asked him, I forget his name, Chris, Chris, someone. Anyway, he asked him, what do you do? Like, how do you know when you need to quit something? And Alex said, oh no, I don't call it necessarily quitting. I call it pivoting. 
because it's like quitting is not yep. an option. And I think that that's really cool for us to go, all right, quitting is off off the table. So what else have we got? <laughs> like we can pivot and change yeah. or we can keep pressing on and trust that the discipline and consistency and doing the reps and doing all the stuff that we need to do is going to pay off. And I think a lot of people, a lot of creatives, they either quit too early or they pivot too frequently. And they, instead of staying the course, sticking with the offer, refining and like making it better and like sticking at the thing, they go, I tried this for two months and it didn't work. So I'm going to change strategy. And then they're back at square one again. And every time we do something new, there's an investment of energy, time, money generally. And like, we don't see it that way because we're like, oh, it's just my time. It doesn't really matter. But it actually does and it takes us back. So every time we do a little change and we self-sabotage and we do that, it actually costs us. And so I think this idea of taking quitting off the table and it just becoming more about pivoting in the moments where we need to pivot, not just because we get bored, not just because we like have a fear around something or this weird self-sabotage thing or because we're not committed enough to keep going. How did you... I'm curious about this because you've scaled. Mm. Is there an element for you where, and like I have found we've had a huge season of growth recently in our business and- Congrats. Thank you. It's good. It's all really good stuff. But I don't want to use the word boring because it's not boring. I actually really, Mm. really enjoy it. But what has fascinated me is that doing the same things that seemingly like feel like, oh, are we going to do that thing again? Like we're going to do that thing again and again and again. That has been what's gotten us the result, the repetition, and it kind of keeping it as simple as possible, boring, quote unquote. Have you found that in your business there has been that that trend of, yeah, we've got to innovate. Yes, we've got to be creative, but we've also got to do the thing and and do like keep keep kind of plugging away at the same things. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to circle back to that consistency thing because it's absolutely uh, critical, consistency and focus. But the first thing to get around, uh, get your head around generally for people listening to this, and this is going to sound particularly apt to your audience, but trust me, it's in any industry. Yeah, Most people who start a business, they're artists, right? So I don't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether they're a designer or whatever, but I've, I've coached and mentored a a number of business owners, but it could be someone who's a financial planner, right? Yeah. Or my brother, who's a farmer, or I know a guy, I was mentoring a guy who was doing a a architectural uh, wood manufacturing thing in freaking Poland, right? (laughs) All of these individuals had one thing in common. They were all artists. They were all like, I'm the best financial planner. The way we financial plan is so good. We do this thing and it's just this magical, look at these things yeah. here. This, this, this is art. And they want to just focus on the thing. My brother, he's the best, honestly, the best farming product, like the best agricultural produce that you're ever going to find comes from his farm. It's amazing. He's the best at yeah. that. But I'm like, dude, if no one knows about it, they ain't buying your stuff. Right. And so, and so the problem is that most business owners, when they start, they're artists. They're thinking about, yeah. oh, how do I make this beautiful thing? And how do I do this? And necessarily, entrepreneurship is a creative act. Right. Yes. And so, it, like, I, I genuinely believe that entrepreneurship is one of the most creative things you can do. Yes. But you have to transition from artist to business owner. And there's a mm-hmm. big difference. Right. And necessarily that means you need to let go of being the artist and you need to become something different. You need to wear a different hat. Now, there's a time and a place for innovation and creativity for sure. 
But it doesn't mean it should become corporate and stale, but you need to become a different person in order to be able to get from where you are to where you want to be, right? Yeah. And until you can step away from being that kind of artist mindset where I've just got to continually create new stuff. By the, by the way, I just want to clarify this, right? Because I actually get really frustrated by all of the people out there on the internet telling you what to do. Let yeah. me just be clear. Whatever you should do, whatever's going to make you happy, right? So, so yeah. if the thing that makes you happy is like, no, I just want to paint pictures every single day, and I just, uh, I'm not, I don't want to grow a business, then great, paint pictures every day. Yeah. Maybe set up an e-store, go to the market, sell them, do whatever makes you happy. I don't care. You don't have to build a big business. We're good, right? But if the thing you want is that, then you're going to need to learn how to become a different person. Now, in that process, the way a business owner acts and the way an artist acts are going to be very different. Because a business owner, a business is just a machine. That's all it is. That's why I enjoy it because it's a machine. There are inputs and there are outputs, right? It's a system and all you need to do is continually dial in the system. Now, if you were going to build a machine, would you want to build a machine that you continuously, like let's say you've got a a motorbike. Do you want to then turn around and go, okay, well, today I'm going to make the handlebars made out of rubber. Well, maybe that's a dumb idea, okay? You're not going to continually innovate like and just randomly start changing bits on the motorbike. You're going to ask, how is this going to be the most well-oiled machine possible and get me to my goal? So consistency matters because you need to get a consistent operating rhythm in your business. You need to build systems and processes which Mm -hmm. aren't as boring as they seem because when you can get the business to run more smoothly, you have the freedom to be more creative. And this is the thing that people don't, that the step that they miss. They go, but I love being an artist. I don't want to have to go and do this boring stuff. <laughs> and it's like, ah, yes. So you're an artist now, possibly a starving artist in, in some context. Yeah. If you just go and do the boring work, in inverted commas, for a little bit, guess what? You're then going to be able to be as much of a creative as you want, probably far more creative than you can be today. You'll be well-resourced to do it. You'll have everything you want without any of the lack and you'll, ha- you'll move to a different state of abundance. And so mm. it's understanding that in order to, to get from the current artist to the future artist that you really desire to be, there's a stage that you have to go through of growth and friction and learning where you need to step out of being an artist, step into being an owner because you are not yeah. the business and the business is not you. It is a machine that you are designing and building. Then the machine will give you everything you want so you can be as creative as you want as often as you want. Yes. Yes, yes, yes to all of that. I love that you talk about it's like people get the order wrong. They start their businesses mm-hmm. to get more freedom than they in that startup phase, they're like, holy heck, this doesn't give me freedom. This is a really stressful thing that's taken all my time and all my money. <laughs> like, what? And it feels like false advertising. But it's the, it's like it's the tunnel that you have to go through to get to the freedom. But some people camp out in the middle of the tunnel and they're like, this thing sucks. Yeah. I'm, not cre- I, I'm spending less time creating. I'm spending more time doing stuff that I hate. But they're not they haven't gotten to the other side because it's like they can't even, I wonder if it's like they can't quite see the future of where they're going and they, they don't. they have a mis- misaligned expectation on timing. Sorry to interrupt. It's because of mis- yes. misaligned expectation on timing. Everyone, everyone thinks that you start a business and you get rich and you're free. That's not true. But if I was to say to you, hey, in five years, your life can be whatever you want it to be, mm. whatever you want it to be. You want to live on Lake Como in Italy, sailing a yacht every day, whatever, right? It could be whatever you want it to be. You want to work two hours a week and earn $250, $300, $500 million, whatever. I don't care. I don't care what it is. If I said in five years, just five years, your life can be whatever you want it to be, but for the next five years, you're just going to have to go do a bunch of work. Would that be a reasonable trade-off and investment? 
Probably. Totally. But most yeah. people just but most people just can't conceptualize that. They, they, and like when we first started the business, our goals were like one year in advance. In one year, we will try and make a million dollars worth of revenue. Mm-hmm. And then what? We didn't know. And so yeah. when, you, when you're in it, you don't know because you're in it, you're feeling the pain. You're like, is this going to last forever? Like whenever you're feeling pain of any type, you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. This is going to yeah. last forever. But it might, it's only going to last a few years. And if you just fast forward five years from now, you can have any mm-hmm. life that you want for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Yeah. Is that a good trade? Is that a fair trade? And even, by the way, even if it's 10 years, even yeah. if it's 10 years, by the way, is that still the right trade? I would argue yes. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, there is a lot of noise online. And I talk about this a lot where people are like, I work two hours a day and I do this. And, and like, you know, here's how I did it. But they don't actually share the messy middle that is the bit where it was 12, 15, 18 hour days of, and, and the self-doubt of, is this even going to work? It's easy when you're on the other side. Well, it's easier on the other side to be like, oh, well, you can make much more empowered decisions and you can go, cool, this is, this is what you should do because you have the depth of experience. You have, you have proof. And I think when we're on, like, not quite on the other side of it yet, we're looking at it going, oh my gosh, but like, what if it doesn't work? And the other thing, um, Dan Martell, I don't know if you've, you follow Dan Martell, but I feel like you guys would get along actually a bunch. He talks about the pain line. And I think that this is really like relevant to what we're talking about. There's something in our brains, everything in our brains wants to avoid pain. And so if we reach a growth line, if we reach a growth in our business and it, and it gets too close to our pain line, we're going to sabotage. We're going to slow down. We're going to do something to break it because we everything in us wants to avoid pain. And so I think it's helping us to identify, okay, what is my pain line? What is the point for me where I start to get shaky or I start to sabotage or maybe I get to a revenue and when I really need to hire and, and like push through, I step back or I stop marketing or I like, I go into a little hole and just focus on the work and not on the business. I think a lot of people get to their pain line and instead of kind of leaping right through it and going, right, I'm just going to bust straight through it and get a new pain line, they shrink and they they really should expand at that point. Yes, 100% agree. (laughs) It's interesting. So there's there's a few layers into that which – I'd love to kind of like tease out. Mm. So firstly, yeah, I do. Uh, I actually like Dan Martell. It's quite funny because uh, a lot of the stuff he talks about is stuff that I've been talking about in my business and stuff for yeah. like a few years. And then it was like, oh, there's Dan and he's saying the same things. I'm like, that's so, even some of the tools and frameworks, it's like, oh, that's so funny. Um, but yeah. I, I'm a big fan, actually. I think I think what he's doing is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really interesting because everything's painful at the end of the day. Everything is painful. Mm. And I think mm. that's what pe- kind of people kind of miss um, sitting around doing nothing, just, just imagine sitting on your couch doing nothing, that would be painful. That would be painfully boring. That would be like so painful. Going to the gym and like lifting yeah. weights, that's painful. Like that's like you, you go through discomfort. Hiking through a mountain, hiking through a mountain range for several mm-hmm. days, that's, that's, hard. that's hard. It's tough. It's painful. So everything is painful. And sometimes we misrepresent pain as being bad. But there is, no, there is no good or bad. There is only input and then how we choose to respond to it. Mm. So, so 
that context is useful because when you're trying to grow your business and when you're like in that moment where it's like, oh my God, this feels terrible. I'm stressed out and (laughs) there's all this stuff going on and oh my God, I think I'm going to die. It's like, that's okay. Like you don't actually need to label that as bad. You just need to say, wow, look how how deep in the growth I am right now. Look how deep in the kind of like personal transformation I am right now. And that's really what it is. It's like, this is mm. so uncomfortable for me right now because I'm personally transforming so much. I'm finding new edges and boundaries that I didn't know even existed and I don't know how to deal with them. And that's where the growth comes from. Entrepreneurship is the greatest personal development journey you'll ever go on as long as you actually choose to see it that way, right? And yeah. back to the kind of pain is it like everything is a choice and everything is pain. You can choose to grow slowly because you don't want the pain of what happens when you grow fast, things breaking, lots of decisions, more chaos. You can grow slowly and you can find more balance in your life in the first few, you know, but that period of time that is going to take you to get from here to there is going to be longer. So you may say, look, I don't want to, I don't want to work 18 hours a day. And by the way, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of hustle culture. So just don't, mm. let's not misrepresent mm. this either. But, but you may say, I don't want to like, go all in. I want to make sure I have time. I, you know, I'm going to work six hours a day or whatever. That, that's okay. That's okay. Just expect that the period of time where you're going to be in the muck, where you're still trying to get the business to work, is going to be extremely protracted. Instead of it being five years, it might be 15 years. It might be 20 years. And so then you've got to ask yourself, are you prepared for the resilience that is required to go that distance. So your pain on a day-to-day may be less, but the pain macro of the resilience that is required to get to that end state that you desire, it's going to require that you become an ultra marathon runner versus a sprinter. And so you really got to choose which one you want to do. Now, Mm. I would argue passionately that it is easier to grow a business quickly than it is to grow it slowly. Because if you have a slow growing business, it's not very inspiring. You're going to struggle to attract the best talent. You're going to struggle to keep people motivated because there's not a lot of growth opportunities. You're going to struggle to, you you won't be trying to rapidly solve problems in your business and you become complacent. And if Mm -hmm. you want to attract the best people, they want to be part of an adventure. They 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 want a big vision. They want an adventure. They want something that they can get behind. They need something that they can look to you and your vision and the thing you're building and go, that's bigger than what I could do myself. I'm, I'm on board. Let's go. And yeah. at the core, the two things you need to learn to grow your business, it's not how to do the, it's not like how to build a better, it, there's two things, people and finance. They're the only two things you need to learn. Yeah. If you can work out, so accounting is the language of business. So if you can understand your business's finances and bear in mind mm-hmm. when we started Dash Dot, uh, in my previous business, I didn't even know what a P&L was, right? So like mm-hmm. a profit and loss statement, didn't even know what it was. Now I'm f- fairly uh, across it. But uh, understanding your finances and people, people are the engine of your business. So if you want your business to grow and if you don't want to have to be the genius with a thousand helpers that's constantly putting out fires all over the place and everything has to go to you because nobody else can seem to make any other decisions, if you want to avoid that, you need really good yeah. people around you. Uh-huh. And so then you have to work out how do you build a workplace that the best people in the world are going to want to be at, that they're going to feel inspired and empowered and enriched. So then you need yeah. to build something that's going to meet their personal needs, not just their professional needs, not just like, well, I pay them well. It's like, yes, but does this fit into the context of what they believe is a good life? So you have to then yeah. think about, okay, so how do I build a business full of great people that has a great culture, that's doing great things? Then how do I manage the finances? And if you get those two things to work together, then the yeah. business itself 
starts to spiral upwards and then you get what you want. Hey, my friend, real quick, I have a favor to ask. If you love my business playbook and if it has helped you in your business journey, then I would love for you to leave us a five-star review. It will take you all of 60 seconds, but it means the world to me. And it helps us to get the word out about the show, which means we can help more people just like you. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get back to the episode. I want to talk to you about the people thing because obviously you Mm -hmm. are very good at this because you've built a business that is rated like best place to work. So what do you think people get wrong when, and maybe this is the, the simpler way for us to frame it. What do you think people get wrong as they start to build out teams and as they start to kind of create this, like, like you're talking about this engine room of all these people, what are the big mistakes people make? Mm. Well, I mean, there's a lot and trust me, we've made a few as well. Um, uh, So I I think fundamentally as a business owner, you need to take a first, like like the first perspective you need to have is why would anyone work for me? Yeah. Because everyone like, uh, sorry, there are a lot of business owners who think, well, I'm paying someone, surely they should do whatever they're told. Mm I, I look at all of my team, our team, and I think, what do I need to do to ensure that they want to continue to be here? Because mm-hmm. they could leave at any moment. Anyone could go work for money somewhere. In fact, we just yeah. had a, a town hall meeting with our team uh, yesterday and I literally said that to the entire company. I said, my hope is that every one of you here is here because you are here for more than the money because this business in some way fulfills part of your personal needs is fulfilling yeah. to you. And yeah. if you are only here because of the paycheck, Let's have a conversation. I will help you find a better paying job so you can get more of the thing you want, which is money, because it's not going to be here, right? And, mm-hmm. and I mean that, and I mean that in a loving way, not a kind of like a threatening way. It's like a, like it has to be more than money because anyone yeah. can get a job anywhere else. Yeah. So then to ask yourself, what kind of workplace would need to exist or how would I need to treat people or what systems would need to be in place such that when the people are in my organization, they start to believe that it is their own and they can have an impact. Now, we, we have really deeply, like, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have never had a real job, right? So I don't know what happens out there, but I've heard stories. <laughs> I've heard stories of what happens when people go into offices and all of this kind of stuff, and none of it sounds good. No. And so as a first baseline, we lead with trust. A lot of people say trust needs to be earned. We give trust from the, from the get-go. We say, okay, right. we trust you. We don't, count, we don't count hours. We have an unlimited paid annual leave policy. Uh, we have a, fr- a freedom and responsibility, flexibility of work policy, work from anywhere policy. So we have mm-hmm. all of these things that basically say, we respect that you are an excellent individual and we trust yeah. you to, be, to mm-hmm. come on our team. And if you operate from that baseline, what that does is that creates what I like to call status equilibrium. And it's so interesting. I was talking uh, to our team yesterday in a a different meeting where we had some of our team in the Philippines who are working in kind of, you you know, like more support roles, several several layers down from where I am in the organization. Even they said, you know what's cool about this place is it doesn't feel like there's any difference in the hierarchy. I can come and talk to you just as I can talk to anyone else. And that's so because you, cr- you create a baseline where everyone must respect each other, not respect some kind of structured hierarchy, if that makes sense. So yeah. thinking about how to build a people-centered organization actually solves most of the problems. Mm. You know, it's not about do you have SOPs for everything? Because if you can get great people and teach them how to think in the right way, then, then fine. Totally. You don't need all, the, all, that, all that. Over time, yeah. you will need to put that kind of stuff in place. But I think as a baseline, if you approach it from that perspective – a lot, a lot of business owners say, oh, you know, people are your greatest asset, and, and, but they don't really get what that means. 
Yeah. We realized, we realized, I also hear a lot of business owners say things like liabilities walk on two legs. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you, you must have a terrible business. Because Gabby, Gabby and I realized, and this was one of the things that when we were, you know, working out, could we even afford to buy a can of beans in 2020? Uh, yeah. We realized then that if we wanted to create a truly iconic company that would grow beyond us, the founders, Mm-hmm. And create an impact that would, that would that would be bigger than us, bigger than ourselves. Yeah, it was going to be people, people first. So we had to craft a compelling vision. We had to decide who we were, what our culture was, what we stood for, what kind of people are going to thrive in our organization, and we yeah. had to build a people, people first organization. You know, a lot of people say things like, "How would you? How, how do you grow your business? Do you spend more money on Facebook ads, or what's the latest <laughs> sales tactic, or whatever?" And Invariably, it is a who question, not a how question. Yes. If you can get the best people in your business, every problem you ever have will get solved. Yep. And so, therefore, how do you get the best people? Mm. Oh, that is so, so good. I've just taken so, so many notes. I have a, one final question for you, and it is a selfish question. <laughs> I want to know, you know, you've made this, I know you made this leap, you know, from 2020 to where you are today, making the leap from six figures to seven figures. And probably more, my question is actually the leap from seven figures to eight figures. Yeah. Is that different? And and if so, how is it different to the leap from six figures to seven figures? Yeah. It's a really good question because there's a lot of uh, material out there on how to get to six figures, right? how to get to your first six figures and how to get from six to seven figures. And there ain't many people talking about how to get from seven to eight figures and beyond. Uh, and the reason for that is because it's very rare air. There's not that many companies that do it. Yeah. I think it's like like 1% of companies get to a million and it's like wow. 0.04, yeah, maybe it's 10%. But like to get to 10 million, I think it's like 0.4% or 0.04%. It's bugger all businesses get to 10 million, mm-hmm. get to eight figures. Um, and it becomes more about the people in finance stuff. So in the first stage, it's really sales, sales and marketing. Yeah. How do you how, how do you how do you sell shit, and how do you get money into the business? Because without yeah. the money, you don't have a business. You have no way to invest in the team and the systems and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah. um, uh, an interesting thing, just to kind of reflect on, it, like Dan Martel talks about the replacement ladder, and and uh, it's I have a slight variation on it. So yeah. uh, I believe that the the right way to think about kind of building out your business is to think about admin first. So get someone to help you with uh, kind of like free up your time so you can focus on bigger tasks, probably sales and marketing. Then you want to find uh, someone to help with the delivery so that you can continue to focus on sales marketing, delivery product, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Then uh, find someone to take over the sales process because sales is a process, not an art. If your sales process is a creative act, it means you don't have a sales process, right? (laughs) And then then, uh, marketing and then leadership. And so if you think Mm -hmm. about kind of going through those layers, the first, the, it kind of represents also the, the transition as you kind of grow through the business as well. So really getting to getting to your first million dollars, that's that's sales and marketing. That's like, yeah. can you, and it, there's only really three parts in your business, by the way, and this is useful to kind of break it down into three parts. There's traffic, conversion, and delivery. Really, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. in the first phase, it's like, can you get the traffic and can you convert the traffic and can you deliver the product at a kind of like basic level? But you've got to go in that order. Once you then start to build a team, once you actually start can invest in a team, then what has to change? You need to focus on people and money, because you can't. Mm-hmm. You need to have teams that can self self operate. Otherwise, you're going to continue to be in every part of the business. And one of the yeah. funniest things that happened with us is we when we 
so in 2020, when we transitioned from being a team of two and a half, because I'm uh, our assistant was down on part time. Anyway, once we kind of went to a team of four, yeah, uh, we hired a guy named Nick who's still with the, in the business today, and he took over some of the delivery side off me because I was doing a lot of the delivery stuff. Uh, and in, for, my first response was like, "Oh my god, this is the best thing ever! Finally, I have someone who can do that work, so I don't need to do that work anymore." Yeah. Then it was terrified because I was like, "What if he leaves?" Instantly, I've got all that work back on my plate. And now he's still with us today and is a great asset to the, to, the, to, the, to the company. But instantly I realized that you're only safe when you have five of everyone, which sounds a little bit neurotic, right? But you've got to think yeah. about it from a context of uh, if you have a team of five and one person's leave, you've, one person leaves, you've still got 80% of your team. So mm. then it's kind of a there's – a, there's, so that was sort of my incentive to take us very quickly from here to here. It was like we need to build a business big enough that we could be stable so that if someone leaves or whatever because that happens over time. Yes. Um, the business can continue to be stable. And in order to do that, it's, it's people and finances. So what you actually find is you probably don't need to innovate your sales and marketing processes very much. So right. the, the, the pathway to seven figures is going to probably be the pathway that will get you to eight figures from a sales and marketing perspective. Probably same general marketing strategies generally. You'll probably need yeah. to innovate creatives and stuff like that. But same general marketing strategies. In fact, we've had lead, lead magnets that have been running since 2019 and still run yeah. today and still drive a ton of the revenue. Uh, so same sales and marketing processes and tactics. And then it's really about how do you build scalable, scalable people systems? And if you can mm. do that, the, the rest of the stuff works. That's kind of the friction. And we're looking at scaling up another company at the moment. Uh, and the, the thing about that is uh, we, we, we are 100% confident that we can generate the uh, traffic and the conversion. So getting, getting the clients for this business is like, I have z- literally zero concern. But yeah. the the... The question about how we're going to take it from, because we're acquiring a company and then we're going to scale it up. So how do we take it from sort of like a, a kind of mid to high six figure uh, revenue uh, company to a multi, multi eight figure, probably like roughly 20 million. We're going to do that probably in about two years. The question then is not how do we get traffic, it's how do we scale the internal part of the organization. Right. So that's where yeah. it really needs to shift. And, I, and I'll, I'll share a story because it's probably slightly useful maybe. But um, we'd, saw, we'd kind of solved the sales and marketing thing in 2019. We were like, yeah, look at us. We know how to make money. It's great. But the business, there was no business, right? We'd work yeah. out how to make money, but there was no real business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a mentor at the time and uh, I was all juiced up thinking I was the best. I was the king of the world. Look at us. We're making all this money, revenue, but we were making no profit either. Uh, and he looked at me. He was just so flabbergasted. And he just looked at me and said, Goose, do you know what your problem is? I said, what? He said, you've got no business acumen. And I was like, bam. It was like being hit around the side of the head with a book. I was Because instantly I knew he was right. I was like, you know what? You're right. I've got no idea how the business side of business works. Yes. Uh, that, was, that, that was when I read, started reading books on uh, how to understand accounting. That's when I read Good to Great by Jim Collins. So I started going, yeah. okay, well, yeah, right. Actually, how does the business thing work? And sales and marketing will get you to a million, million bucks. You don't really need to be any good at business. You can have a few people around you. It's, it's fine. It's mm. small business. Mm-hmm. To get from a million to 10 million, you need to actually then start to master the art of business, which is people and finance at the core. Oh, that's so good. And it's also good to know because if you then go, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to have a big team. That's your like, cool. That's what eight figures Absolutely looks like. Fine. I'm going to I'm gonna hang at seven figures. And it's kind of nice to, to know you get to choose. And I think for anyone listening, maybe, maybe six figures is the goal, maybe seven figures, maybe eight figures is, is your like your big ass goal, whatever that looks like. You get to choose, and I think it's just cool to know what's required at each level. And yep. okay, well, if I'm not good at that, who can I employ, and how can I upskill? 
as well. So it's like, it's kind of a both and. And I think, I think that that's really helpful to know our levers that we have to pull are different at six figures, at seven figures and at eight figures as well. Bingo. I, I want to double click on, on what you just said there because um, we, we get fed this idea that bigger is better. Mm. And uh, I followed that track too because we, cause we, were, we started with nothing, right? So mm-hmm. in order to pull myself forward, I just had to keep dreaming bigger dreams, billions of dollars and private jets and all that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say no to billions of dollars and private jets. Right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good. What was super interesting for me though was um, – Early in 2023, I had the opportunity to meet Grant Cardone. And those of you who don't know Grant Cardone, he's a fairly successful entrepreneur. Um, You know, I had the opportunity to meet, and I'd always sort of like held him up as like, yeah, 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 look at him. He's got the jets. He's got the, you know, he's got all the money. Uh, You know, I kind of like say what you want about him. He's not perfect, but, um, you know, I I had him up on some degree of a pedestal. And then I met the guy Mm -hmm. and I was met his entourage, met his, like, I was in that like zone just for, for like a day. And I suddenly realized, I was like, oh, I don't want that. Yeah. What he's got, I don't want. I don't want that. I don't want. I don't want that level of uh, intensity in my life. I don't want a level. Of the, there was like this, all this stuff that came with it. The biggest yeah. thing for me was that, as I walked away from that. I was in Miami. I went all the way to Miami to 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 have this experience, and I went away. And, and I still respect the guy. No, no, like fine. But yeah. I just went. Ah, that's so good because now I've seen that I don't want what he has. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And a lot of this, this idea that you need to continually get bigger in order to be validated, or in fact, that when you get bigger, your problems will be solved is a lie, by the way. You know, yeah. I, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, a business owner doing sort of circa 5 million in revenue, business is a mess, stressed out beyond his eyeballs, yeah. nothing's working, it's all broken. And he said, uh, but one, when I get to 10 million, everything will be, everything will be sorted. And I said, <laughs> dude, if you don't sort it now, it's not going to be sorted at 10 million, your problems are just going to be bigger. Yeah. And I think it's okay to just work out what you want out of life and just go for that because what you actually might find is the thing that you want, the lifestyle you want, the, the, the vision of the, that you have for yourself is probably mm-hmm. far more attainable than you think and it doesn't require that you go through all of yeah. this other stress to get there. So just get clear on what that is and give yourself the permission to say it's okay to be this big because this is what suits me and my lifestyle. I love that. I think that's such a – and that's such a cool way for us to finish up this conversation because – I think it's just so valuable for us and what you were saying earlier, Goose, about like having a vision that is that is bigger than you doesn't mean that the vision has to be private jets, millions and millions of dollars. It doesn't have to be that. It just has to be your vision, not someone else's. And I think that that's a really powerful way for us to think about how we want to keep growing our businesses and and really how we want our business to serve our life. And I think the big learning that I've had, this I've had this mindset shift of my life doesn't exist to serve the business. The business actually exists to serve my life. And I don't want people to go, oh, that's Laura Higgins. She's a business owner. I don't want that to be the first thing people say about me. And so I think it's really important if we want that, if that's our goal, that our life and our time and our calendar actually reflects that as well. So I think it's it's about finding your vision and what you really want to achieve and then not making apologies for going after it. And I think so many people, especially Aussies, we go, oh, I'll just play small. I just won't, you know, oh, hitting six figures, that's a crazy goal. Like it's not a crazy goal. It's totally doable. So I think we've got to play big and we've got to play big within the realms of our vision. And I think that that's the, the big thing. Yeah, 100% agree. I think it's about living in alignment with your values is actually yes. is where, at the core where it comes down to. Yeah. And as long as you do that, everything else is sweet. 
right? And that, that'll kind of that'll kind of dictate that'll dictate all of it. And if you can yeah. live life in alignment with your values, then uh, everything else becomes a lot easier. And if you're trying to grow because other people tell you to grow, but that's not the thing that you really want, then then mm. you're going to be you're going to suffer emotionally. So. Mm. Um, I agree people should dream bigger and think bigger. And when I think about having a vision bigger than yourself, it doesn't need to be I'm going to cure cancer. It can just be what does my life if I life look like if I 10x the things that make me most happy. Uh, that could also be a way to think about a vision because it doesn't have to be some people are inspired by an altruistic vision, i.e. I'm going to serve people beyond myself and other people are inspired by a personal vision uh, or some people both. And that's all of that is fine. It's just about how do you create something bigger so you have something to grow into because if, you, yes. if you're not growing into something, you're stagnating. And so when you realize that you can genuinely, deeply, and I mean this with absolute like uh, in, in a very literal sense, you can design and create whatever reality you want so then the responsibility is just to decide what that looks like. Is mm. it having a $100 million business and being some $100 million CEO because that's sort of some vision you have of yourself, which is what it was for me at one point? Or is it having a $10 million business that spits off um, you know, $2 million a year in profit and it's management run and you sail the world on your yacht just living a nice time because you built an asset? Or is it building a $2 million business where you can um, – you still have a team around you, but still probably work three or four days a week because you love the contribution and being part of the business and doing all that kind of stuff. Is that kind of the thing you what you want? And the, the interesting transition that you just talked about, by the way, that's the transition from going from a startup entrepreneur to shareholder. So you now yeah. saying, no, no, the, the, I am not the business and the business is not me. The business is this thing that I built and I'm a shareholder mm. of the business. I have a job. I, I'm in the same position. I have a job in the business. My job is the CEO. That's my job. Gabby, Managed, she's, she's off the org chart. She doesn't have a job anymore uh, in the, technically. But I'm a, I have a job. Yeah. I'm an employee of the company. Separately, I'm a shareholder. And those two things are very different. And none of them should mean that I have the label of – I'm Goose. That's it. I'm, I'm just a guy. Yeah. I'm not the business. Yeah. I'm not I'm – not, and I think it's a really good transition for people to go through to think of themselves as an, as an investor or a shareholder in the business rather than being the business. Oh, Goose. This has been so, so helpful and I've taken like a full page of notes. I know that people are going to want to check you out online. I know you have a podcast and I know that there are some more resources that you have. Where can people connect with you and follow you online? Uh, so I've got a, if you're interested in growing a business, uh, I've got a bunch of YouTube videos. I, I'm not actively creating a lot of content at the moment just because we're scaling up a lot of stuff. So I've had to yeah. prioritize my focus. Um, but there are a bunch of videos on growing a business if you just go to YouTube forward slash uh, at Goose McGrath. Uh, I have a newsletter. If you go to blog.goosemcgrath.com, there's a bunch of blogs and newsletters you can access for free. That's typically more centered around if you want to create the life that you've always dreamed of. That's more more life-centric and there's some really valuable stuff in there. I'd suggest checking that out. Or Instagram is like the only social media platform that I actually check. So if you want to connect with me directly or send me a message or whatever, just Instagram at Goose McGrath. Love it. Well, Goose, we're going to put all of those links into the show notes. Thank you so much for your generosity and your time today. I really feel like you've, you've helped me to even just shift some thinking around my own business. So thank you a whole bunch. Appreciate you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. I hope that like me, you took a bunch of notes from that conversation. There is so much gold there. And I love the thing that he said about taking quitting off the table. I think that that's really powerful for us. If we just take quitting off the table, what are we left with? What can we do from there? I think that's a really, really cool mindset shift. Now, if you want to connect with Goose, be sure to check out the show notes. 
and I've linked all of his socials, his YouTube, all of the fun stuff in there. As always, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thanks for tuning in every single week. If you love this episode, send me a DM on Instagram at Laura Higgins and let me know. I love your work. I will see you back here same time, same place next week. Go get them.